awesome truth to know, to claim that God is alive in your life and in mine. Why don't you just pray with me for a second? God, we just uh, ask for your presence today. We pray, God, that your spirit would be with us today to challenge us, to teach us to learn, to listen to you, to hear your voice, to know that it's you that speaks to us. God, we thank you that you are a risen God on our behalf. God, would you come here today, meet with us? Would your presence be so obvious to us that we can't ignore who you are, that we would meet you here in this place? We pray that, Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, I'm glad that you're here today. It's a good day. You know, we're in a series called The Impractical Life, and just kind of a little clue, the impractical life, kind of the key idea behind the impractical life is that that the impractical life is really the life that God has designed for those who really want to seriously follow after Him. And the impractical part is that from the world's perspective, it seems really impractical to be a person of integrity or a person of truth or a person that really trusts God or learns to lean into God. But today we're going to talk a little bit about thought or wisdom as a part of that impractical life. How do I use my mind? Where is my mind involved in my relationship with God? Can it be? How can it be? When we talk about smarts, when we talk about smarts and intellect, we're always kind of in the world of comparisons. Whether we're talking about somebody's IQ compared to someone else's IQ, somebody's grades compared to someone else's grades, the amount of degrees or, you know, things they have mounted on their wall that says they accomplished this, that, or the other thing. And we can trip up over those things if we're not careful and miss what it means to really deal with wisdom. But the mind is a complex and more than just intellectual facts and figures, isn't it? The Bible champions wisdom for us to consider. So what is so great about wisdom and how does it come into play in your brain power and in mine? Well, let's check out Proverbs. It's a book in the Old Testament that probably the smartest man that ever lived outside of Jesus, King Solomon, wrote the Proverbs. And so we're going to kind of look at those sayings of wisdom because they're considered by many to be some of the wisest insights about living life that were ever written. So let me just challenge you with this. I want to just read the very opening part of the book of Proverbs. It reads like this. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, Knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Wow. Anybody here ever done anything stupid? Like, I'm in there. 
I'm in there. That happens. And I have plenty of personal examples of things that I've done that weren't all that bright. But I want to read one from someone else. This is, uh, maybe you've heard this before, I don't know. It's called The Lawn Chair Man. Larry uh, Walters went to the local Army-Navy surplus store and purchased 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium. He securely strapped the balloons to his sturdy lawn chair and anchored the chair to the bumper of his Jeep and inflated the balloons with the helium. Are you kind of getting this picture? Larry uh, packed several sandwiches in a six-pack of Miller Lite and loaded his pellet gun figuring he could pop a few balloons when it was time to descend. But Larry's plan was to lazily float up to the height of about 30 feet above his backyard and come down in a few hours. But things didn't quite work out for Larry. When he cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he streaked into the L.A. sky as, a shot, as if shot out of a cannon. He didn't level off at 30 feet, but at 16,000 feet. At that height, he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons, so he stayed there drifting cold and frightened for more than 14 hours when he found himself in the primary approach uh, corridor of LAX. A Pan Am pilot first spotted Larry. He radioed the tower and described passing a guy in a lawn chair with a gun. <laughs> Radar confirmed the uh, existence of an object 16, floating 16,000 feet above the airport LAX. Emergency procedures swung into full alert and the helicopter was dispatched to investigate. The offshore breeze began to blow and carried Larry out to sea. Right on Larry's heels was the rescue helicopter. The helicopter ascended to a position several hundred feet above Larry and lowered a rescue line. Larry snagged the line, with which he was hauled back to the shore. As soon as Larry was hauled to earth, he was arrested by waiting members of the LAPD for violating LAX airspace. I've done some stupid stuff but probably nothing quite that great. We do stupid things. Today we enroll in God's school of wisdom. And it's an entire book about wisdom and insights called Proverbs, as we've said. The message of this book and the idea of wisdom in the Bible, because the Bible in ancient times, wisdom was not mainly about IQ, it was not about information. We've got plenty of information. Most of us have a pretty decent IQ. But that isn't what this is about. We're overwhelmed, as I said, with information. But biblical wisdom, here it is. Biblical wisdom is the ability to make right decisions. Biblical wisdom is, about, is the ability to make right decisions. And who wouldn't want to be able to make right decisions, correct decisions? We have to make decisions like every instant we're making decisions. The ability to make right decisions. It's very practical. It's the ability to discern in my actual life what is God honoring, what is the right course to take. 
And being a fool in biblical perspectives, when you see that word in the Bible, someone being called a fool, that's not primarily about low IQ. It's not, it's not about someone who's not educated. A fool is primarily not a problem of the mind, but a problem of the will. It's rebellion against God in our mind. Today, our focus on wisdom through, throughout this book of Proverbs and throughout the whole, book of the, the, the whole of this book in the Old Testament is to teach us about insights to live by and to make good decisions in life. Now, writing a proverb, a proverb, proverbs are a little bit different type of literature, but writing a proverb, writing an effective proverb takes kind of a brilliant mind because uh, these are brilliant sayings. A good proverb is brief, kind of pithy, and has deep insight into human nature. And it's ex- it, it is expressed in a few unforgettable words um, that just kind of stick into your brain. For every culture, every culture produces a few minds that can do this. In our day, most of those minds write country western music. Pithy sayings, short. Somebody sent me a few titles of western songs lately. They're they're like this. How can I miss you if you won't go away? Another one was this. I've got you on my conscience, but at least you're off my back. And on and on. So in our day, people who have those kinds of minds, they're writing country western songs and probably making a lot of money. But back in ancient biblical times, people would write proverbs deliberately written to be catchy. And after that, they're quite, they're quite visual. So they'll have a visual picture connected with that saying. So here's one I think it's going to go up behind me right now. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Now, the comparison here isn't between a beautiful woman and a pig. That's not the comparison. It's the beautiful woman and the gold ring. The other piece is the pig and no discretion. Kind of a pithy, weird saying, huh? But here's what that's about. It's this. It's coaching people who might get married. It's talking to people who might be considering getting married. It says, if you get hooked up with someone who has poor judgment and defective character, just because they're physically attractive, you're not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. That's what it's saying. And it's geared toward men because men will do that. Men will do that. Of course, in our day, no man would be so superficial or immature as to be focused on someone's physical attractiveness alone. But in ancient times, men would actually do that kind of thing. So the proverb is written to help get that point. So to benefit from Proverbs, it's crucial that we understand the kind of teaching that Proverbs is and that it involves, because when people don't get it, They'll get frustrated with Proverbs in reading through them. And, and I would say that it's a, it's a kind of a style of reading. When we read the Bible, we read it in different ways. The, the Bible is full of, it's like a library. It's different types of literature. 
and I've used this before, but there's, there's literature like when I read the newspaper or, or whatever, if I read the newspaper and I read the comics section of the newspaper, I read it in a certain way. When I read the sports page, I read it in another way. I don't read those things the, things the same way. I read them differently than I read the front page. They're different types of writing, different types of literature. And so Proverbs in the Bible is a different form of literature and literary writing and writing style. Now, I want to just kind of give you three different kinds of statements in Scripture that we find. And there are more than three, but I'm going to give you three this morning. And, and I just want you to kind of note these as I go. You might be marking them down on your notes today. The first, there are laws. Laws are, are the commands that I'm always supposed to do. Laws are the commands that I'm always supposed to do. A second, there are promises. And promises, these are, uh, is a guarantee of what God will do, or it's a guarantee of what will happen. That's a promise. And the third are proverbs. A proverb is a catchy description of about, of, of about the way things generally are. So let me give you a few statements and see if you can help me out here and discern which category these statements come from. Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Which does that category, does that fall in? Is that a law, a promise, or a proverb? Right, it's a law. Love the Lord. Is there any change in that? No. Any exceptions? No. We're just taught that's a law. Love God. Love God. Here's another statement from Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Is that a law, a promise, or a proverb? That's a promise. And by the way, isn't that an incredible promise? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God's designed it so when we come into relationship with Him, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. An incredible, incredible promise. Here's another one from Proverbs 11:25. A generous man will prosper. Is that a law, a promise, or a proverb? It's a proverb, right? Okay, it's a proverb. Because are there any exceptions to that? Well, yes, there are. Absolutely there's exceptions to that. Lots of times people can be quite generous, and yet they're not prosperous at all. They may be quite poor because Proverbs are not, a guarantee, are not guaranteed formulas for success or parenting or finances or work. They are wise observations about kingdom living, about living with God. And that's what kind of literature they are. So on your outline, I've kind of got an A, B, C kind of outline for you to follow today if you're following along with me. And I want to give you several things about the Proverbs and walk you through. Proverbs, A. Proverbs are designed to force us to have to think about them. Proverbs are designed to force us to have to think about them. In other words, we don't read just Proverbs really quickly. We need to spend some time thinking about what the proverb is actually saying. And Proverbs, by the way, the writer to the Proverbs, he may write something on a theme, wealth, or something like that. And then he'll move on and write some other stuff in the proverb. And then he'll come back and he'll write another statement almost identical to this one, but he'll add just a little bit more to it. And he's building a case for a theme when you read through Proverbs. So just being aware of that, you can't just read them quickly. If you do, you'll get frustrated with them. 
you need to, you need to think about what's being said. Here's an example. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Proverbs 24, 27. Well, what is that about? Well, it's this. In that culture, outdoor work like farming was income producing, but house building was income draining, spending on comfort. So the meaning behind the proverb is don't spend money that you don't have. Don't spend money you don't have. But Proverbs usually finds a pithier way to say that. So if I was going to write a proverb along that line in our day, it would be something like, get a job before you get a jaguar. I'm not saying I'm good at writing them, but it would be something like that. B, second part, another aspect of proverbs is that they can confuse people is that sometimes they sound like they're in contradiction of themselves. Proverbial sayings. We, th- we say things like, look before you leap, or he who hesitates is lost. Those are like contradictory statements. It gets a little confusing. And you'll find this in Proverbs. A classic example is Proverbs 26. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Sounds a little contradictory, doesn't it? Challenging to figure out what is that meaning, what is that about? And they're right next to each other, verses 4 and 5. These contradictory statements, yet they're right on top of each other. Same chapter, same section. Well, Very much, every proverb addresses one limited slice of reality. And what it's trying to do is is help us understand in our own life what we're dealing with. And we're different from the person next to us. Or we might be facing a situation at one point in our life and something entirely different in another. And how that proverb is going to speak to us depends on where we are at. It is to help people avoid folly. People are given uh, a, a, an opportunity, uh, even in different directions, in opposite directions, to find truth. So, what proverb I need focus and, and to focus on depends on where I'm at in my life and my own weaknesses or patterns of thinking. For instance, like I said, look before you leap, but we also say, He who hesitates is lost. So how many of you tend to be leapers? How many people are pretty, I'm like out there, I go for stuff, I jump right out there, I get involved in things, I don't necessarily have to think through a lot of stuff, I take action, I'm that kind of person. How many people kind of more like that? Okay, good, all right, great. That's good. Tend to be impulsive, tend to jump into action quickly, sometimes too quickly. You need to look before you leap, right? You need to take some time to think about what you do before you do it. Many of you are in that category. How many of you are in the tend to hesitate uh, before taking any action? How many kind of hesitate, think through everything, got to map it all out, figure everything out? Yeah, we tend to like, let's just make sure we've got everything in a line before we take action here. I don't want to do something stupid, so I'm going to look at every angle before I... Yeah, how many of you are like that? How many of you still need more time to think through that question? 
Yeah, right. Okay, that's, that's you. You're in that group. Okay. So here's the point. The writer of the Proverbs is quite intentional about this. Benefiting from Proverbs requires using them with discretion. That's C. Using them with discretion. They're partly designed for God to use to help us grow mentally, spiritually, morally. And the Proverbs themselves warn us as well as guide us in our walk with God. They do that at the same time. It's an amazing book. Proverbs 26, 9, the writer says this, Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Would a thorn bush in your hand hurt you? Would a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand do some damage? Probably so. Probably so. So how we, how we deal with a proverb is important. They're meant to, to grow us, but at the same time to be handled carefully. And there's, there's, there's a reason why we have a whole book in the Bible called Proverbs. Why we have all these Proverbs. Why do we have so many? Why do we have an entire book devoted to wisdom of Proverbs? Because of one theological principle and one principle alone. People are stupid. We're stupid. We do wrong things all the time. We think our way is the right way, yet God gives us wisdom insights if we're going to follow Him. Real smart people do stupid things. Ask an alcoholic. Do you think your chronic addictive drinking is a good long-term bet to produce a worthwhile life? But they keep doing it. Ask a hot-tempered person, do you think your strategy of just letting it fly whenever you get mad will really help you pursue the kind of relational intimacy that you're really longing for? But we keep doing it. Ask an overcommitted person, is your harried, frenzied, exhausting, self-preoccupied lifestyle really producing in you the rivers of living water that Jesus promised? But we keep living that way. We need Proverbs. We need wisdom. Charles Swindoll wrote a book, So You Want to Be Like Christ, and in a chapter that's called Simplicity, Uncluttering Your Minds, he points out five sources of mind clutter that we can fall into. Let me just throw them out to you. Sources of mind clutter, things that clutter your mind and mine. First, he said, most of us today say yes to far too many things. Is that you? We're busier than we need to be, perhaps because we fear if we have some kind of a void in our soul, we won't know what to do with that. We don't know how to have quiet hours with God or time with God or even time with others. Second, most of us do not plan time for leisure or rejuvenation. We fill up our schedules with all kinds of stuff. Our calendars are filled. There's no even empty spaces between things. It's that time we're running to the next thing to do. We don't even have a thought to stop or to rest. Third, most of us rarely experience the joy of accomplishment. A wise man once wrote, A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. It means that the person's taken time to reflect on an accomplishment. Something happened in your life today. 
One practice that I use periodically is at the end of my day to think of three things that God did with me in that day that I'm excited about, that were a joy to me. It could be a person, it could be an event, an adventure, but to take time to find space for accomplishment and the joy of it with God. Here's the fourth. Most people living in wealthy countries owe more than they can hope to repay. That's why we do things like financial peace. So we're not slaves and become enslaved to things like finances rather than allowing finances to be a freedom way to allow us to use our resources for God's kingdom and to help other people and to be a life in balance and not out of whack. And here's the fifth. Most of us fool ourselves into thinking that with our modern technology, we have simplified our lives. Technology is great, but it doesn't necessarily simplify your life or mine. If anything, sometimes it can become a burden because it's so quickly, it's so easy to use and so quickly fills our life up. We can jump onto the computer, get online, whatever, and man, we can be overwhelmed by stuff. We need Proverbs. In the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament, when they reflected on wisdom, what they came to realize was that all of the wisdom of God has been lovingly deeply embedded in a person, Jesus. The New Testament writers knew all about the wisdom of the Old Testament and Proverbs, but they also understood that the reality of wisdom is embodied in the person of Jesus. So if you want to get to be a person of wisdom and understanding and kind of get God's insights into living, you got to connect with who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the one who exemplifies wisdom in a living form. Jesus is the one that teaches us and walks through life with us. It is the Spirit of God that makes wisdom work in your life and in mine. It's great that we have the book of Proverbs, but we match that with the presence of God in our life. That's the key. When we recognize that Christ is the one that takes us through our understanding of who God is and what life is about. That unlocks the treasure of wisdom for us. I love what it says in Colossians. In Christ, in Christ are hidden all God's treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 For us, the focus of an uncluttered mind and the indispensable guide into wisdom is Jesus. The secret of to the discovery of wisdom is found in your depending and deepening a genuine connectedness to Him. How are you doing with wisdom? How are you doing with time? With listening? With being? That's the key. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we'll understand God's wisdom. If that's your heart's desire today, you're already on the right path. If your heart's desire is to be a wise person in the wisdom of God, you're heading in God's direction. You're getting smarter than when you walked in here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're getting smarter already. 
That's what God's wisdom does for us. God's wisdom unlocks who He is. Not just thoughts about Him, but who He is. Hey, why don't you pray with me? God, thank You. Thank You so much that You do have resources of wisdom for us to live by. You have insights to life that we've never even thought of. Perhaps we've never even perceived just how wise we can be when we trust in You. God, this morning some of us are not feeling all that bright. We've made wrong decisions, bad decisions. Maybe we're living in decisions right now that aren't very good. But you know what? We don't have to stay there. God, help us today to say, you know what, God? I need your wisdom. And what that really means is, God, I I need Jesus in my life. I need to cling to him. I need to get closer to him. I need to abandon my way of doing stuff and grab onto him. I'm sinking going my direction. I want to go your direction. Whatever it is that's got a hold on you today, whatever it is that maybe is blocking you, cluttering your life from being a person of openness and wisdom with God, why don't you just say that to him in this moment of quiet? God, I need help here.